Good morning, and thank you for starting your day with a six-pack, the Scotty Six-Pack, the only podcast that's bringing you the top stories in Wisconsin sports every single day. Plus, we do it in less time than it takes to complete your morning commute. I'm your host, Kedrick Stummeris, and I also write the Scotty Six-Pack daily newsletter, which I'd love for you to subscribe to at the link in the podcast description, and that's scottysixpack.substack.com. You can also follow the podcast on Twitter at Scotty Sixpack or follow me at Kedrick Stumbrus. We're going to be covering a few basketball games important to Wisconsin sports fans today, as well as some football and baseball. Let's get started. Uh, the Wisconsin Badgers men's basketball team is reeling after losing its fifth of six games last night to the Maryland Terrapins. The Badgers have not been at full strength since their December 30th game against Western Michigan. Since then, starters Tyler Wall and Max Klesman have missed a combined five complete games, and Klesman was out of the lineup last night, and so the Badgers fell to the Maryland Terrapins 73-55 last night as the Badgers fell to 4-5 in Big Ten play. After the game, Greg Gard described his team failures on defense, saying they failed on dribble penetration, they did not get pressure on the ball, they got too spread out at times, they did not follow their defensive rules in terms of sending the ball where they need to send it to, and added more, saying they just did not draw a line of the paint. He thought the Terrapins were more aggressive than his Badger squad, even early in the first half in the paint and at the rim. And Greg Gard was right. The Terrapins had a 38-22 edge on points in the paint on the night. And while Wisconsin's offense was far from perfect, the defensive performance was ultimately what doomed the Badgers last night. Badgers allowed Merrick Lynn to score 10 more points than Wisconsin's average of points allowed of 62.9. Maryland scored 73 points, and they allowed Maryland to shoot 56% from the field. The opening minutes of the second half really highlighted Wisconsin's defensive struggles last night. Although Wisconsin entered the second half only trailing by four points, 32 to 28, Maryland quickly built a 49 to 36 lead after making all eight of its first eight shots out of the beginning of the second half. That took them until after the first media timeout, the under-16, until Maryland finally missed a shot from the field. The Turpins overall shot 60% from the field in the second half. That 56% overall for the game, Mark, is tied for the best percentage shooting that Wisconsin has allowed since December 2017. Wisconsin overall in the second half failed to shoot well. They shot just 33% from the field in the in the second half and failed to get much from Chucky Hepburn at all. Their starting point guard only attempted three shots from the field. That's the least amount of shots that Chucky has attempted in a game where he has played it in its entirety since this January of 2021. He also only attempted three shots in the game he exited early in the NCAA tournament against Iowa State last season. Overall, Connor Sejan was Wisconsin's leading scorer on the night. The freshman guards' 19 points were a career high, and they were second in the game only to Maryland's Shamir Young, who had a game high of 22 points. Asijin made six of his 12 shots from the field, needed four or six from beyond the three-point line, and made three or four from the free-throw line. He was really the only guy really hunting his own shot last night, and that showed as he outscored everybody on the Wisconsin. And this loss now drops Wisconsin to ninth in the Big Ten. Uh, tied with Penn State and Maryland, uh, their last two opponents. Now, Wisconsin's going to play in a rematch against Illinois this upcoming Saturday at the Kohl Center. Illinois won the first matchup earlier this month in Champaign, Illinois, 79-69. to Illinois is fifth 
in the Big Ten with a one-game lead over Wisconsin. So if you're following those two notes there, Wisconsin is ninth. They're one game behind Illinois, who is in fifth. This middle of the pack in the Big Ten is a giant jumbled mess. So Wisconsin's struggling. They're under 500 in the Big Ten, but they could just as easily finish in the top half of the league uh, just because this league does not have a runaway team other than Purdue is beating everybody and everyone else is just stuck a little elsewhere in the state in basketball Milwaukee the Bucks they defeated the Denver Nuggets last night after Denver did not play four of their usual starters they were on the second night of back-to-back they had just done a road trip from New Orleans where they played the Pelicans last night and the Bucks ultimately won that game 107 to 99 uh the Bucks are now 31 and 17 and they were technically shorthanded as well as they played their first game since Bobby Portis suffered his right knee injury. And Giannis Antetokounmpo in Milwaukee ultimately found a rhythm going into the second half uh, to secure a victory as the game wore on along the way. Giannis, like I said, found his rhythm in this into the second half. He finished the first half with only nine points, but finished the second half with 24 points for a total of 33 on the night, 33 points and 14 rebounds. He shot 22 free throw attempts, making 15 on the night, and 21 of those attempts came in the second half. Uh, Overall, Pat Connaughton also had a great night. He had 19 points. That was a season high. 12 rebounds. That matched his career high. Um, But despite those individual offensive performances, neither offense took care of the ball very well. Denver uh, committed 19 turnovers. Milwaukee committed 22 turnovers. And as Bucks fans know, this trend of turning the ball over is a bit concerning for Milwaukee. I uh, turned the ball over an average of 14.4 times per game. That's the ninth most in the NBA, and they outdid that average number by almost eight full turnovers last night. Uh, but really, the turnovers committed by the Nuggets, although they do turn the ball over fairly often as well, I believe it's the 11th most in the league. Uh, they were primarily due to the Bucks' defense. Milwaukee had 11 steals on the night. Uh, turned the ball over 19 times the Nuggets did so that's more than half the turnovers were actually forced by Milwaukee overall and Milwaukee held Denver to just 39.2% shooting they held Denver to less than 40% shooting from the field last night um and this Bucks defense continues to be good uh not as staunch as it was at the beginning of the year but finding their groove along the way uh so Milwaukee remains in third place in the Eastern Conference they're three and a half games behind the first place Boston Celtics uh, they're a half game behind the second place Philadelphia 76ers and the Bucks are going to return to action at the Indiana Pacers on Friday so we mentioned at the beginning of this that this was the first game Milwaukee played without Bobby Portis and let's talk about what the loss of Bobby Portis means for the Milwaukee Bucks as uh, Sean Sharania reported during day yesterday uh, Bobby Portis suffered a MCL sprain in his right knee during that awkward collision he had during Milwaukee's game on Monday against the Detroit Pistons. And the Bucks later that day did confirm the report saying that he suffered a right MCL sprain as well as a right ankle sprain. And that's tough because Bobby Fortis is more than a fan favorite for the Milwaukee Bucks. He's a fan favorite, but he's also a reliable contributor with aspirations of winning his second NBA title with the Bucks. And he turned down more money elsewhere to sign with the Bucks. He continues to return to the Milwaukee Bucks. And now coach Mike Budenholzer is faced with a very serious challenge trying to replace the production of 
his sixth man of the year candidate. Uh, it's unclear how much time that Bobby Portis is going to miss this year, uh, but Milwaukee Journal Sentinel did report that it's grade two MCL sprain, and that typically comes with a four to six week recovery time. So that puts the return timetable for Portis somewhere in the late February to early March range. Uh, but it is important to note that Portis did suffer a grade two MCL sprain in the 2018-19 season when he was playing with the Chicago Bulls, and that took him almost seven full weeks to return. It took him 47 days before he got back on the court. Bucks in their release confirming the report that said uh, Portis did suffer a right MCL sprain, did mention that they are going to reevaluate the injury in two weeks. They didn't provide any timetable beyond that, uh, so perhaps we will learn more. But as for the overall impact of the injury, Bobby Portis' absence leaves Milwaukee simply bereft of depth at the center position and lacking any kind of true uh, five in, in the lineup because while Brooke Lopez is played in all but one game this season, Bobby Portis has played in all of them, uh, Brooke and Bobby are the only real options at center uh, in a traditional sense besides Giannis uh, for this Milwaukee Bucks team. Uh, Bucks lack a big man behind Bobby Portis. They lack a big man behind Brooke Lopez. Uh, that player was supposed to be Serge Ibaka. Serge Ibaka is not traveling with the team, not in the team facilities, as he's become disgruntled with his role in Milwaukee and the front office is trying to move him in a trade. So the next option for Coach Bud appears to be Sandro Mamukalashvili. Always mess this name up. Mamukalashvili. Uh, but he's on a two-way contract with uh, the Milwaukee Bucks G League affiliate, the Wisconsin Hurt. And while that's not a problem right now, um, it does come with the fact that two-way contract players are not eligible to play in the playoffs. So it's not a long-term solution for another big man uh, for the Milwaukee Bucks. And, and unless the Bucks decide to sign Mount to a full league contract uh, at the minimum, it's overall unclear what the solution is here, probably beyond going out and getting uh, a big in a trade, which is maybe putting a monkey wrench into the Bucks trade deadline plans because we all expected them to go out and try to swap a guard, maybe swap Grayson Allen uh, or a small forward type like Jordan Nora. Uh, but now they definitely need, although they did have this need before with Serge Barker stepping away, they definitely have a need for uh, more center depth, for more big forward depth, uh, especially if Bobby Portis is actually going to miss more time than we think he might. Uh, the Bucks need to go out and find someone because without Brook Lopez, this team is going to be in a really tough place. If Brook Lopez gets injured, uh, they are going to lack anybody who can play a true center position for the Bucks right now. Um, I think the really unfortunate part about this is that this injury almost certainly ends uh, Bobby Portis' candidacy for the sixth man of the year award. Uh, less than a week ago, his odds were as short as 16 to 1, depending at which sports book you were looking at. But after his injury, most sports books more than doubled the length of his odds to get there. Uh, 16 to 1, the book I saw it at, then moved it to uh, 40 to 1. Other books moved it from 
32 to one to 65 to one. So sods certainly aren't improving, uh, getting very long. And that's tough because Bobby Portis, who is averaging 14.4 points and 10.1 rebounds per game, uh, that makes him the only candidate for the sixth man of the year award with listed odds to be averaging a double-double. He was definitely a dark horse candidate for this award. Seems pretty likely that Russell Westbrook for the Lakers coming off the bench is going to win the award, but I think a very compelling case could have been made for Bobby down the stretch if he would have continued his uh, double-double streak uh, and averaging that mark. Maybe you know, get that up to even 15 points a game. His average uh, would have been a great story and uh, just stinks to see it end this way, unfortunately. Uh, in other perhaps unfortunate news, uh, Wisconsin football lost a player in its 2024 recruiting class. Uh, it's one of two players in the 2024 recruiting class. Um, its recruiting class has been cut, I guess, essentially in half as it loses a three-star quarterback recruit in Austin Alexander. Alexander is the first player who committed to Wisconsin's 2024 class, and he did so on Halloween of 2022. If you're counting along with the timeline of Wisconsin football coaches over the last year, that means that he committed while Jim Leonard was the interim head coach for Wisconsin. He took his official visit during the Illinois game that Wisconsin lost and then ultimately led to the firing of Paul Christ. Uh, and then Austin Alexander got a scholarship offer shortly thereafter. Uh, to join the Wisconsin team. And this comes with a little bit of a monkey wrench beyond just the coaching turnover, although it does seem like the coaching turnover played a role uh, because Alexander told 247 Sports that uh, when he originally committed, it was because of the staff that was there before, and then everything happened so fast, referring to the coaching change. But overall, it seems like he's just getting more interest from other places. When Wisconsin offered him, that was only his second scholarship offer. And now just this past week, he has received three more. Uh, this week, Northern Illinois, USC, and Iowa State each extended scholarship offers to Austin Alexander. So seems like he's probably going to find himself another fit. He did say that Wisconsin's a great school and he hopes to still be recruited by Wisconsin in his statement announcing his decommitment. But overall, He's going to explore his other options. We'll see what happens. Uh, I think it's also important to note that uh, Leak Fickle has just brought in a ton of secondary depth uh, for this team between his additions in the transfer portal and the uh, high school re recruiting class that he's bringing in here in 2023. Those players weren't on the recruiting radar for Wisconsin when Austin Alexander originally committed, so he might be going elsewhere uh, thinking that he might not get playing time he originally thought he was going to get uh, when he first got to Wisconsin. But overall, best of luck with him. Uh, in other prospect news, but in baseball, the Milwaukee Brewers have two of the top 10 outfield prospects, according to MLB Pipeline. MLB Pipeline is releasing its full top 100 list of prospects for this upcoming season today, uh, but they released their top 10 outfield prospects yesterday, and two of them were Milwaukee Brewers. Eighth overall on the top 10 list is Sal Frelick, and Frelick is expected to join uh, the Brewers this season, and the list mentions him as having the best hit tool of the top 10 outfield prospects. 
and uh, LB Pipeline described his running ability as well as a plus plus speed, which allows him to turn ground balls into hits. Uh, Freilich hit 365 batting average uh, at AAA last season, which is great to see. And it'll be exciting to see him come to Milwaukee this year. Uh, probably not coming up to Milwaukee this year, although Craig Council at the winter meetings hinted, you know, maybe they could see him up uh, for a game or two for a few at-bats just to see what the kids got. Is Jackson Shurio, the third overall outfield prospect. And of course, the 18-year-old is an absolute phenom, made his U.S. Pro debut just this year, and has quickly shot up prospect rankings, playing everywhere from low A for the Carolina Mudcats to high A for the uh, Wisconsin Timber Rattlers, and then making his way up to Biloxi to end the year at Double A last season, all in his 18-year-old season. Uh, he's absolutely the the talk of the town uh, for Milwaukee Brewers fans who are up to date with their prospects, up to date with their scouting, and he's expected to arrive in the MLB in 2024. But ahead of him, like I mentioned, he's the third-ranked overall outfield prospect. Ahead of him are two prospects, which are each expected to arrive in the MLB this year. So it's only going to be a matter of months before Milwaukee has the top-ranked outfield prospect. And with the way people are talking about Jackson Churio, uh, Milwaukee's probably going to have the top-ranked overall prospect in the farm system in just a few months here. And that is going to be something really, really exciting to talk about uh, as we approach the baseball season as we approach, you know, uh, the months of August, September, as the guys ahead of them ultimately do end up on uh, big league 40-man rosters for their respective clubs. And it's going to be really fun watching Jackson Churio uh, hopefully light it up uh, for the Nashville Sounds. Hopefully he goes out, has a good year, and earns himself some at-bats in Milwaukee uh, because... Brewers are going to sell a lot of tickets that day. Uh, then they call up Jackson Churio. Uh, otherwise, in Milwaukee, uh, we're going to go back to talk about the UW Milwaukee Panthers one more time. They play tonight, looking to hold steady in first place in the Verizon League as they play Wright State. And Milwaukee also, as a quick note, is ranked in the College Insider mid-major top 25 for the first time in over a decade. Uh, like I said in the previous episode of this podcast, UW-Milwaukee basketball is fun for the first time in a really, really long time. Uh, so tonight, Milwaukee look, is going to look to hang on to that share of first place it has uh, in a game against the Wright State Raiders. And that game tips off at 6 p.m. Central, and you can watch on ESPN+. Plus. Overall, lately, the Panthers head coach, Bart Lundy, must be pleased with the performance of B.J. Freeman, who went out again last week and had some great performances. Uh, his last four games, the sophomore has averaged 26 points and 7.25 rebounds. And in Milwaukee's last game, an 88-75 victory over Youngstown State, uh, B.J. Freeman added 30 points, 6 rebounds, and 11 assists. He shot 60% of the field and made 5 of his 11 three-point attempts. B.J. Freeman is a of fun to watch play basketball for UW Milwaukee. Uh, on the other side of the court, leading Wright State is Trey Calvert. The senior averages 19 points, 4.3 assists, and 1.2 steals per game. Those are all team highs for Wright State. 
And in Wright State's previous matchup against Milwaukee, uh, game the Raiders won in overtime, 78-74. Uh, Trey Calvin notched 23 points, 6 rebounds, and 2 steals. And I must note, at that game, Wright State played in Milwaukee, and it was an absolute heartbreaker. Uh, Milwaukee went down 16 points early and battled all the way back to force overtime. They were down 16 points, battled all the way back, force overtime, and then they ultimately had a lead for a few seconds in overtime. Is the first time they had a lead in either really early in the second half or uh, all the way back in the first half. I think it was all the way back in the first half, but they just couldn't tough it out in the end. They fell too far behind too early and couldn't finish the job, which was unfortunate. Uh, like I mentioned, between Troy Calvin leading Wright State and B.J. Freeman leading either Milwaukee, we got prolific scoring guards leading each of these teams. Overall, the stylistic differences between these two teams could not be more suck. Uh, according to Ken Palm, 39.5% of Milwaukee's field goal attempts come from behind the three-point line. That's almost 40% of Milwaukee's field goal attempts coming from behind the three-point line. Wright State shoots only 26.4% of its field goal attempts from three-point range. And that mark rates as the bottom 10 nationally there are fewer than 10 teams that shoot less three-point attempts per field goal attempt than Wright State and these two teams kind of play into this especially Milwaukee Milwaukee's defense kind of plays into this exact strategy that Wright State doesn't want to take uh Bart Lundy's defense really allows teams to shoot the three. Milwaukee allows opponents to take 42.4% of their field goal attempts from three, uh, fewer than 50 teams out of the, of course, 363 in Division One allow more. In their previous matchup, which I mentioned before, that overtime matchup that Milwaukee tried coming back from the 16-point deficit at, uh, they forced Wright State to diverge from their typical strategy of it not shooting the three, while the Raiders shot 26 three-point attempts. In, in regulation, it wasn't just because of overtime they chucked up a ton of threes. They shot 26 three-pointers in regulation. And their average is 16.3, which is the 16th fewest in the country overall. So Milwaukee's going to take away the paint. They're going to force Wright State to shoot the three. And we'll see if the teams can hang on, if this Raiders team can hang on and adapt against Milwaukee. It'll be interesting uh, to see. Hopefully, Milwaukee can hang on uh, and hold on to that share of first place they have in the Horizon League. Uh, they are currently tied with uh, Northern Kentucky for that league overall. Uh, for that league elite, rather. Uh, Great State's win over Milwaukee 12 days ago was its last win. They've since lost two straight uh, against Purdue Fort Wayne and Cleveland State. Uh, the Milwaukee's loss to Red State 12 days ago was its last loss. They have since won uh, over Robert Morris and Jamestown State. Uh, elsewhere in the Bryson League, Northern Kentucky, which I mentioned sharing that lead right now with UW-Milwaukee, does also play tonight uh, against UW-GB uh, at 6 p.m. I would imagine that UW-GB, which just fired its head coach, Will Ryan, is probably going to take the loss to Northern Kentucky in that one, but we'll see. Thanks for listening. That's all for today's edition of the Scotty Six Pack. Follow us on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, 
or wherever you get your podcasts to start every day with everything you need to know in Wisconsin sports. Thanks for listening. I've been your host, Kendrick Stumbrus, Wisconsin.